The following is a presentation of WIM, Westminster Youth Ministry. Transformation does not happen overnight. It takes time and energy. It especially takes patience. We often get frustrated in not seeing change in our own lives. Even more so, we get frustrated in not seeing change in others. The Gospel speaks into that because Jesus, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, transforms us more and more into His image. And the cool thing is that He invites us into that process with each other. Writer Paul David Tripp writes, Personal transformation takes place as our hearts are changed by God's grace and our minds are renewed by the Holy Spirit. We don't change anyone. It is the work of the Redeemer. We are simply His instruments. In this series, called Better Together, we are going to be highlighting that very principle, that God uses us as instruments in each other's lives. We hope you enjoy. time that we can come and that we can worship and that we can learn and spend time in your word. I do pray that you would help us to see the beauty of community and how much we need it. I pray that you would work in these students, work in these leaders, work in myself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you to think, don't answer this out loud, but I want you to think about the answer to this question in your head. What is the best news that you can think about for yourself? The, if only this would happen in my life, then I would be truly satisfied or happy. Maybe it's that guy or girl that you're super interested in and they all of a sudden are super interested in you. Maybe it's getting into the college that you really want to get into. Maybe it's getting some sort of achievement in school or in sports. Here's another question for you. What motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Maybe it's as simple as your parents dragging you out of bed because that's most likely for some of you. My kids are five and four, and I have to drag them out of bed in the morning. They're like teenagers. Maybe it's more involved in that, and that you have some sort of specific goal that you are shooting for in life, and that's what gets you moving in the morning. That's what gets you out of bed. I want to encourage you by saying that even though you may have good news for yourself in these things, maybe these are maybe your goals are good, and they're something that you truly want to achieve, and something that you can get a lot of joy out of, but... I want to encourage you that there's something even more important that should get us out of bed in the morning. Something more important that should motivate us. Something more important that is the best news for us. It's incredibly easy to get discouraged in the world that we live in because there's a lot of just awful, discouraging, horrible things that we have to put up with on a daily basis. But however, in light of that world, the life that we live is meant to be with each other. We are called to engage with one another in community. And even if you are an introvert, you are still called to be in community. Now, that may look different for introverts than it does for extroverts, and that's okay. I consider myself an extroverted introvert. You probably wouldn't have guessed that I'm an introvert by nature, but... I have to force myself to do extroverted things, and that's okay, because I love doing it, but I need to recharge by myself. But even for introverts, we are called to be in community, and it's so easy for us to just want to isolate ourselves. It's so easy for us to want to deal with our own problems by ourselves. But in this broken, fallen world, our sinful nature wants us to hide, wants us to push others away, wants to try to figure out life on our own. When the Bible actually tells us that that's the complete opposite of what we are called to do as Christians. 
We are actually called to live life with one another. We're called to be in each other's lives. And maybe that scares you. Maybe that makes you super uncomfortable. Maybe that embarrasses you. But we are called to live not on our own. We need help. And that's actually the good news for us. The best news that you can tell yourself every day is that you need help. And ultimately, our help comes from where? Come on, y'all. comes from Jesus. It comes from the Lord. But he also provides us with one another. So here's what I want us to think about tonight. God created us to be in community together to help one another. And we are truly better together. God created us to be in community together to help one another. And we are truly better together. So I want to set the stage for us. We're going to read Genesis 2.25. Carolyn's going to come read that for us. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. All right. So the garden life. Garden life was good. Okay. There was no shame. Nothing to worry about. It was Hakuna Matata. Everybody was happy. Everybody was enjoying life. Before the fall, Adam and Eve lived in perfect harmony with who? With one another. And with God. So there's no things like jealousy. There's no things like anger. There's no things like bitterness and hatred and unkindness. There's no fear. There's no attributing of motives to other people. There's no wrong desires and no hurting of others. Just perfect union with God. Their relationship with God is in perfect harmony. And because of that, their relationship with one another was in perfect harmony. They loved well. They enjoyed the benefits of living in this unified sense, this world where they got to exercise dominion over creation together and there was no problems. Everything was good. They had nothing getting in the way of fulfilling their calling in life. Now, post fall, things start to shake up and community gets distorted. So let's read Genesis 3, 15 to 19. Ryan, I think you're going to read that for us. Genesis three fifteen to 19. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, and for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan. Okay, so after the fall, we see how sin inserts itself into the human heart, causing us to have a world of problems. So immediately, this is where power struggles start to come in. Immediately, we see jealousy. Immediately, we see strife. Things like fear and guilt and shame become the norm for us, as opposed to unity. And harmony. And we all become immediately broken individuals that no longer have that union and harmony and that life of peace with God. And it throws off our sense of community. It throws off our sense of being in harmony and in union with one another. We're left scratching and clawing our way back to that need. Okay, because of sin, we have to fight for community now. It's something that's hard. But the problem is that we cannot physically or spiritually, scratch and claw our way back into community with God. Jesus had to come and do that for us. And if we think about our relationships here on earth, we can only do so much to restore our relationships here on earth. We need the Spirit to be at work if we're going to see that happen. 
It's impossible for us to do it on our own. As much as we try, only God can change people's hearts, which is super frustrating for many of us, especially since we're now more prone to having control issues. Anybody here got control issues? I've got control issues over certain things. We all have a, a sense of needing control. So please raise your hands. I want to ask you this question. What are things in your life that you have this strong, innate desire to control? Elliot. Okay, yes. I think that is probably one that we all struggle with in a lot of ways. Yes. How fair, okay, how fair things can be. What else? What are some other things y'all like to control? Awesome. Okay, so you've just given up. Okay. You've given up trying to control things. That's good. Care about Okay, the music in your car? What do you mean by that? Okay, so... Gotcha. So when you're driving, because you're a good driver and your hands are on 10 and 2, you, you can't control. Okay. All right, so for me, I like to try and control my children, which is a very ineffective way of parenting. So I often forget that my daughter is a 5-year-old, and she makes decisions like a 5-year-old, so I shouldn't expect her to do anything but behave like a five-year-old. But in my head, I want to treat her like she's a grown adult and she should be rational and she should think through things and she should listen all the time. That's me trying to control my own daughter and it fails miserably. So when your parents, maybe one day, don't try to control your children, try to shape and mold them. Okay? Um, but we all have things that we like to control. Other people, situations, grades, jobs, emotions, relationships. Yet, as we do so often find out the hard way that the harder we try to control things, usually the more we screw them up, and usually the worse we make them. The fallen world quickly teaches us this on a daily basis. We don't have as much control as we think or as we would like to have over things. And that leaves us in this particular predicament of being frustrated, being annoyed with other people, being disappointed in other people, and... This is actually a good place for us to camp out for a minute. Because this itself, this idea that we are in this place where we can't control other people, actually shows us and reminds us of the good news of the gospel, which tells us that you're not enough, but Jesus is. And that's the best news that we can think about. And that's the news that we have to be promoting to one another in community. Because we're broken individuals in a broken world, we have this great need. And honestly, sometimes we're not really good at reminding each other of that. We're not really good at pointing each other to Christ. We're not really good at speaking into other people's lives when they're feeling down, when they're feeling hurt, and actually presenting them with hope. Oftentimes we make things worse with the words that we say. I want you to imagine trying to open a gift with one hand. Be a little difficult. Maybe you can do it. Or listening to a speech with one ear. Or tying a knot with one hand. Why are all these things hard? Deja. Yeah, so generally you need two to do those things. And it's a lot easier when you have a pair of hands working together to do something. Oftentimes, when we go through the struggles of life, and we deal with disappointments and we deal with hurts. 
we're kind of like that hand trying to open the gift by itself when we really need someone else to come alongside and talk to us and help us and engage with us. And the beautiful thing is Jesus provides a solution for us. And I want us to see that in Mark chapter 1. So go ahead and turn to Mark 1. Page numbers are on the screen for you. Mark 1, 14 to 20. Mark 1, 14 to 20. Thank you, Davey. Uh, Mark 1, 14 to 20. <clears throat> after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you, fi- and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their fathers in the boat with the hired servants and followed them. All right, so this section marks the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And it begins with, the ESV says, the time is fulfilled. The NIV actually says, the time has come. And the kingdom of God was established on earth by Jesus. And as he arrives, he's sharing this good news of the gospel for those who repent and believe it's this good news that we so desperately need the good news that was broken at the fall okay and this kingdom comes to change people it doesn't come to make us self-absorbed people that try to work out life on our own that try to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps it calls us to something greater and better now as the time has come what is the first thing as the ministry of the good news that we so desperately need comes what is the first thing that jesus does did you notice you can answer this what is the first thing that he does? Go back to the text. I want you to answer this. He finds other people. Yes, he goes and seeks community, right? He goes and seeks others. He doesn't go to individuals and teach them. He doesn't go to the synagogues to shout the good news. No, he goes and gathers friends, gathers his brothers, draws them together in relationship. And it's important to note, and we don't get this here, but... The more we read the Bible, the more we see this. Jesus is not exactly gathering an all-star team here. He's gathering a ragtag group of guys that are going to spend their entire lives arguing over who's the best at what they do. They're going to argue about who gets the best seat in heaven. When they get there, they're always bickering, they're always fighting, and they really are not going to fully get and understand Jesus until after he's dead. He's gathering to to himself a people who are a hot mess. And I hope that's encouraging to you because... Because of sin, what are we? We too are a hot mess. And Jesus is not afraid to move towards people like this. Jesus is not afraid to move towards people like us. These men would go on to shape the world as we know it. And all that was by the grace of God. And it was all because he started ushering in the kingdom of God by drawing friends to himself and by drawing community to himself. So the theme that we're going to spend the rest of this semester talking about is how we're better together. And God calls us to live in community with one another and help one another. One writer, Paul David Tripp, describes this this way. He says that we are instruments in God's hands. We are instruments in God's hands. We're all tools that are being used by God for each other to help one another, whether we realize it or not. And it's important to note 
that tools can malfunction. Okay, saws rust, nails bend, screws will strip if you don't screw them in properly. Tools can be handled incorrectly. They can be used in the wrong ways. Hammers don't drive in screws very well, if you've ever tried to do that. It will work eventually, but it takes a really long time and a lot more effort. Screwdrivers also don't hammer nails in well. If you've ever tried to do that, that's going to take you even longer. Okay? Pressure washers should not be used to take off your nail polish. Okay? That's a bad tool for the job. Kitchen knives... Kitchen knives should not be used for surgery. Cell phones should not be used to cut bread or cut butter. Okay? Of course, we can try to use these tools in these ways, but it's foolish. We'll be left frustrated. Now, it's also equally important to note that God knows that you as an instrument are flawed. He knows that you as one of the tools that he's going to use to shape other people is messed up and has issues. And isn't going to do the job right all the time. He's not unaware that you're a sinner in a broken world. He understands you better than you understand yourself. Which means that he knows when to use you, how to use you, and why he's using you. And that itself should be an encouragement to us. That even though we are a messed up, hot mess of an instrument, God still desires to use you as an individual. I want you to think about the importance and beauty of that. Because I don't know about you, but I have a lot of sin in my heart. And the fact that God still wants to use me is super encouraging. And it's a blessing. Okay, His purpose is to use us. His desire is to use us. Tripp continues. He says, personal transformation takes place as our hearts are changed by God's grace and our minds are renewed by the Holy Spirit. We don't change anyone. That's the work of the Redeemer. We are simply his instruments. So the more we move towards each other, the more we can see the ways that God is drawing us together, the way that he's using us to shape one another and encourage one another and build one another. So often we try to use ourselves as instruments of wrath and instruments of anger, instruments of hurt and bitterness. And honestly, when we do that, all we're doing is bringing our own sin to the table and it's just making things worse and worse and worse and worse. We can destroy relationships if we try to control us being the instruments. But God wants you to release that control and say, you know what, Lord, I don't know what you're doing with me in this friendship. I don't know what you're doing with me and my parents. I don't know what you're doing with me and my siblings. Whatever the relationship is, we need to be able to free ourselves up to say, I don't know what God is doing. And that's it's a totally okay place for you to be. It really is. We're not called to understand all of God's will all the time, but we are called to lean into it and trust in it because God is using us as part of his toolbox. Let's close with Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Caleb's going to read that for us. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, then we'll wrap up. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about or by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, 
when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Awesome. Thank you, Kevin. So the standard metaphor that Paul uses for the church is what? The human body, right? We all have different parts of our body. We have hands, we have feet, we have knees, we have shins, we have eyes, ears, head, shoulders, knees and toes. Okay? We all have different parts, and all those parts function very, very differently, and they all serve the purpose of helping us to move around and to live and have being. The Apostle Paul uses this to describe the way that we are, although we are different, we all have a part to play in each other's lives, which means we can never, and he says this elsewhere in the New Testament, we can never like look to the hand and say, you are unnecessary to me, or look to the foot and say, no, I think uh, we can do without you, right? We are called to work together. Each part of the human body has been intentionally designed to fulfill a function, and each one of you whether you think it or not, have been designed by God to fulfill a particular function in the kingdom of God. And we can't shy away from that just because we don't like being vulnerable with others. And we can't shy away from that because we don't feel connected with others. As union with God was broken at the fall, God wants to draw us into further union with himself in order to show us the beauty of that relationship and how it pours out into our relationships here on earth. And it's in that space, like recognizing that, that God is drawing me to himself, therefore I should draw near to others. It's in that space that we can truly find healing. We can truly find the help that we need. We can be encouraged in the context of the broken world that we live in. So often Satan wants you to be used as an instrument of hurt and destruction rather than the instrument that God means for you to be used for. So earlier I asked you to imagine opening a gift with one hand, listen to a speech with one ear, or tie a knot with one hand. Again, these tasks are so much easier to do when you have that connectivity. When you're going through something hard and someone else in your life has gone through something hard and they're able to listen to you and engage with you in a way that just means a whole lot more because they understand and they're willing to sit with you in your mess, that's a beautiful thing. We have a great opportunity. We have a great opportunity as God's people. The kingdom of God demands change, and God uses us. We're not the ones that bring about change in each other, but God actually uses you in your friends' lives, whether you realize it or not. Paul David Tripp continues when he says, Bring more than solutions, strategies, and principles and commands. We bring the greatest story ever told, the story of a Redeemer. Can you imagine how drastically your relationships Every single one of them would be if you started with that story, the story of a redeemer. Can you imagine how much our relationships would change if that were the goal to point each other back to Christ, to point each other towards Jesus, to point each other towards the hope that we have instead of the awful, messed up world that we live in and all the things that the culture tries to tell you in the world today. So as we drive into what this looks like this semester. Okay, like I said, we're going to spend the rest of the semester talking about this very principle, the fact that we're drawn together. I want you to try to reframe the broken story that you live in. That's a really hard thing to do. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes constant reminder, both from yourself and from others. I want you to see and live in light of the kingdom of God at work through Jesus in you. We're called to be as instruments by him as we walk together. Okay, so we're going to spend a little bit of time in small groups unpacking that, but let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and this place where we can be together and we can learn together and we can 
live in hope together. I pray that you would draw us closer to one another. I ask that you would help us to remind each other daily of just the evil, awful world we live in, but the beautiful Savior that we serve and how he shapes us, even though we still live in this broken world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an ear out for more audio upcoming from WIM. Thank you.